Blog Talk Radio. I have a thunderstorm coming. Uh-huh. Oh, good. All right. So, yeah, we got, let's see. We're live. We're live on Facebook and the Vibe Radio Network. And good evening, everybody. Should I let you go now? She would greatly appreciate that. You're still waiting on people to sneak in. Yeah, yeah. We'll, just we'll give folks, a, folks just a, a, a moment. They would have changed, though. Oh, yeah, Again. we know. I hate this. Hang on. Okay. Um, where's our event? Where are we on Facebook? How do you see the live? There it is. I'm trying no, to find No, Facebook really changed. That's okay, Patrick. Okay. Hey, Patrick. There we go. Next to your mom. Oh, <laughs> you want to talk about cross giants? Uh, cross giants. Let me help you out there, <laughs> but we've got you on cross giants. Actually, for real, if you let me sit here and talk about cross giants forever, I... <laughs> This will be the best one I've ever had. So should yeah. I switch seats with you and you do this with Chris? I haven't researched cross giants properly. <laughs> I will need to, like, quote dollars, bro. <laughs> All right. So we're drinking mead tonight, a.k.a. Viking blood, and that's literally what this mead is called. We have cool. to be the generic cool. skull. We have to be the generic American to make everything Nor- uh, Norway Viking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not the maker of the meat. I'm just the drinker. Yeah, <laughs> but no objections. It's no, safer. yeah, certainly not. <laughs> While you're there, probably wouldn't be the first thing I mentioned, but, you know. Norway wasn't always an ideal country. 
as the northern reaches of the world. It was only in the 1950s and 60s that Norway's wealth and quality of life started to grow. Before that, many would have equated Norway with poverty and bitter cold, and in a country so far north that half of it is above the Arctic Circle, the fall and the winter nights are long and dark, providing the perfect environment for ghost stories and spooky legends to take root in the Norwegian history and culture. Even against the beautiful backdrop of the New York Norwegian landscape, people once saw spirits and death in everything around them. Some thought that the northern lights were an omen of impending danger, while others thought it was the souls of dead virgins floating across the sky. In Norse mythology, the northern lights are called the Bifrost Bridge, or the Rainbow Bridge to Asgard. According to folklore and legends, the Norwegian mountains and forests are riddled by trolls and other mysterious creatures. While not necessarily evil, their twisted faces can be scary and have frightened people for centuries. The ideas of trolls come from Old Norse mythology and is inspired by Jontner, the, the main enemies of the gods. These creatures were giants, and in central parts of southern Norway, where the biggest mountains of northern Europe are located, lies the national park of Jotunheimen. The Jotunheimen. <laughs> you got to let him do full script. <laughs> the meaning of the name is home of the giants. So while spirited tales and folklore may not be at the forefront of Norwegian culture anymore, you don't need to look far to see the lasting impact on the cultural fabric of the ancient country near the edge of the world. I've been practicing Norwegian. I have not. <laughs> I'm we, just going to sit here and drink. We haven't even gotten into the challenging pronunciations yet. <laughs> no, yeah, no. Uh, Nor- Norway has fun with a lot of their town names. Oh, yes. Yeah, and we will be touching on some of those this evening. This is going to be, this could be fun. I was going to let him do this, Greg. Give me the phone. <laughs> Pardon you? I can jump in when needed. Let's let's do it that way. I Didn't I do, no. No, 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 no. We are not doing this because last year I did the entirety of the Welsh one by myself because you lost your voice. I did? Yeah. <laughs> so, no, you're not getting off, getting off that easy. Norwegian? is significantly easier than Welsh. It is, undoubtedly so, much easier. Oh, hang on, hang on. Let me just share my fun fact about Norwegian and most of the Scandinavian languages, apart from Spanish, even though Finnish. I'm not going to go into Finland. Um, Anyway, most of the Scandinavian languages are very easy for English speakers to learn. But a lot of the words are very similar. They are. They are. There's quite a few that are similar. And once you uh, know the um, kind of how the the patterns, how the words fit together, it's uh, yeah, it's not, it's not too bad. Yeah. I mean, there are a few uh, a few words that are I find personally very challenging. Oh yeah. But um, yeah, overall, not too shabby. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, we're going to start our spooky Norwegian expedition in Oslo, the capital city of Norway and its largest city. Is everyone slow in Oslo? <laughs> <laughs> At the center of the city's historic waterfront stands the imposing Akershus Fortress. Built during the reign of King Hakon V in 1299, Eckershus was intended to replace a pair of smaller and weaker castles in the wake of some earlier attacks by a nobleman from the nearby city of Sarpsborg. The resulting fortress has subsequently withstood numerous sieges over the subsequent centuries and today stands as a popular cultural center. A visit to Eckershus castle is a journey through the history of Norway from the 1300s to the present day. The legendary Queen Margaret, founder of the Kalmar Union in 1389, lived in the castle in medieval times. The Danish Danish woman was married already as a 10-year-old girl to the Norwegian king Hakon IV, or excuse me, VI, other way around there, and as a young queen, she lived at Eckershus Castle. During her reign, she managed to unite Norway, Sweden, and Denmark, and the countries flourished under the only reigning queen Norway has ever had. In 1624, there was a terrible fire, and almost the entire city burned completely down. Norwegian King Christian IV rebuilt the city and moved it from its location adjacent to the fortress below the hill of Ekeberg to the, uh, behind the fortress away from the water where the city's center still exists in the modern day. King Christian IV believed it would be easier to protect the city if it was behind the fortress, and considering that Oslo has thrived, uh, safely thrived in this location in the years since, it seems he might have been onto something. 
Today, this part of the city center is called Kvadradurin uh, <laughs> and, uh, and houses some of the oldest buildings in Oslo, among them the old city hall from 1641. The name Kvadradurin comes from the rectangular street pattern of Christian IV Renaissance town. He chose this pattern so that it would be easier to shoot at the enemy as far as possible straight ahead with the cannons at Eckershus Fortress. Fun fact, after having rebuilt the town, the king renamed the city after himself. This is why Oslo was called Christiana from 1624 until it was decided in 1924 to take back the old city name of Oslo. Akershus Fortress has also been a prison with a section of it known as the Slavery because the prisoners could be rented out for work in the city. It housed many rebels and criminals throughout Norwegian history. Sentences often involved hard labor, and the prison was infamous for using irons, chains, and prisoner isolation as disciplinary techniques. The Norwegian Robin Hood, Old Holslund, um, committed suicide in this prison cell in the castle in 1848. He was well known for his escapes, no less than 11 times, and his spectacular robbery of the Norwegian bank in 1835. He even escaped Eckershus once, but he was locked back in locked back in three years later. Apparently, that was just too much for him. The immediate proximity of the sea was a key feature of the fortress. Naval power was a vital military force since the majority of Norwegian commerce during that time was by sea. The fortress was strategically important for the capital and therefore Norway as well. Whoever controlled Akershus Fortress ruled Norway. During World War II, the fortress surrendered without fighting to Nazi Germany in 1940 when the Norwegian government evacuated the capital in the face of the unprovoked German assault on Denmark and Norway. During the war, people were executed Eckershus by the German occupiers. After the war, eight Norwegian traders, including Vidkun Quisling, who had been tried for war crimes and sentenced to death, were also executed at the fortress. The prison was closed in 1950. In the years since, the main building has been restored. It has been used for uh, official events and dinners for foreign heads of state. Akershus Fortress is still a military area, but it's open to the public to visit and walk the grounds. In addition to the castle, the Norwegian Armed Forces Museum and Resistance Museum can also be visited here. The fortress also houses the Royal Mausoleum, where, amongst others, King Hakon VII, Queen Maud, and their son, King Olaf IV, are buried. That's all just a snapshot of the history of Eckersley's Fortress, a critical piece of Norway's history and culture that, as you might expect, has a few stories of the spirited sort as well. Many visitors and employees at Eckersley's claim to have experienced something they cannot explain. Unexplained footsteps, disembodied voices, strange smells. Many of these claims stretch back centuries. Some of the supernatural occurrences are more visual in nature, as people have seen a variety of spirits that are, uh, there one, that are there one second and gone the next, including guards that seem to be standing post until they vanish. One spirit that has earned a reputation for itself is called Mantelgeisten, or the cloaked ghost. This woman has been around for decades, and she always emerges from the darkness wearing a long, dark cloak by having no face. She's seen often returning to the room that she has claimed as her chamber in Margarita Salon, the Mar uh, Margarita Hall. Despite her lack of a face, she is still more human than the next spirit at Eckershus. We'll turn our attention to the front gates of the castle. If Eckershus had a weak point as a fortification, it may have been the front gate. This was the case with many fortifications of the era, and a custom was developed to help ward off ill luck at this weakest point. During the construction of Eckershus, a living dog was bricked into the wall. This dog would not be content to simply die as some lucky totem for the residents of the castle. This dog returned as Melkanathan, the vicious dog. Legend said that anyone who encountered Melkanathan will be dead by the end of the year. In 1550, the legend of Melkanathan was put to the test. Amid a wicked storm in the dead of night, the wall where Melkanathan was walled up collapsed. The commander of the fortress, Petter Hansen, insisted on inspecting the damage immediately. The rank and file guards of the fortress panicked. 
They knew of Mount Kanison, and the prospect of encountering this fearful creature in the dead of night paralyzed them with fear. Commander Hansen was furious with, furious with the guard and took it upon himself to inspect the damage. As he entered the class section, a dog with sharp fangs and glowing red eyes emerged from the darkness, a length of broken chain wrapped around its neck. Hater threw his lamp at the beast's head and fled from the corridor, frightened half death. A couple days later, Commander Hansen was making his rounds at the fortress aback his horse. As he passed the gallows, his horse dropped dead under him. Hader was crushed by the horse, his neck broken in the incident. He lingered in bed before finally succumbing to his injuries within the year. In the years since Commander Hansen's death, others have been unfortunate enough to also come face-to-face with Melkanathan and have suffered similar fates. While we generally love the idea of communing with animal spirits, we think that this might be best to give Melkanathan his space. Speaking of spirits that are less than human, we also want to mention the night pyres. These small creatures are about the size of a baby, but take the shape of a grown woman. These small women are wreathed in flames and wear hideous smiles. Their terrible laughter will freeze even the bravest of people in their tracks. If their presence wasn't awful enough, their appearance is said to precede a fire at the fortress. While there are many more spirits that we can mention at Ekersus, we'll share one more for this evening. In 1563 through 1570, Denmark, Norway, and members of their coalition were embroiled in the Northern Seven Years' War against the Kingdom of Sweden. In 1567, King Eric XIV of Sweden sent a contingent of troops to Oslo to capture Akers' fortress. Upon arriving, the Swedish troops found themselves woefully short of the heavy guns that would be required to take the fortress, so instead they set up camp outside of Akers' and waited. The troops, bored out of their minds, got up to all sorts of mischief. One night, some of the Danish, uh, excuse me, some of the Swedish troops got incredibly drunk. One of these mounted his horse and charged the fortress drawbridge, screaming his intentions of conquering Akersus and Norway single-handedly. He and his horse were shot and killed on the spot. While the drunken soldier faded into the historical record, his enraged horse has been seen on the drawbridge, scaring people out of their wits. Just as with Melkanison, those who are unfortunate enough to see this demon horse will die within a year of their encounter. So Patrick wants to pet the dog, not the night pyres. I want to pet the night pyres. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I think... I put the night pyres in there for you. Melkanison, bad juju. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. I, I, if you want to live another year, probably best to give him a space. Yeah. Also, hey, Dana. <laughs> All right, so this next one is in Telemark. It's to the west and the interior of the Norwegian landscape. And it's a village of Delen where the river Tork, flows into Lake Vanda. Delen has always been a relatively small community, but in 1892, the expansion of the Telemark Canal brought an influx of visitors to Delen's doorstep. Many passengers would ride ferries through the canal from the eastern locales, such as Oslo and Grenland, as they traveled to destinations in central and western Norway. With the influx of visitors came the idea of a hotel in Dallas. Businessman Hans Larsen, and along with his two associates, Lars Roth and Anton Hansen, commissioned architect Hal Dord Larsen Borg. Yes. Woohoo! to design the hotel. Borg was a highly trained and respected architect, and he designed the hotel the style of a Swiss chalet as the elements of national romanticism and drag style, or dragon style. Yes, I do want to go to this hotel. <laughs> FYI, they don't have internet, just so you know. It is a beautiful blend of complex woodworking, carved dragon heads, turrets, spires, balconies, and cornices. For all its ornate woodwork, the partners would keep the official name simple, Dallin Hotel. That, uh, though it quickly earned itself a flattering nickname, the Fairy Tale Hotel. After its opening in 1894, the hotel drew royal guests from all over Europe, playing host to the likes of King Oscar II of Sweden, 
Kaiser Wilhelm II of Germany, King Leopold II of Belgium, King Hankan of the Seventh of Norway, and his family, plus several members of the British aristocracy. During the German occupation of Norway during World War II, Gallen Hotel was used as a resort for German officers. Most of the building's interior was stripped out and sold for parts. The building fell into disrepair due to the lack of proper maintenance, and after the war, the building was brought bought by singer and evangelist Auguste uh, Samuelson, with the intent of restoring the hotel to its former glory. But Samuelson failed to raise the necessary funds to renovate the building. He gave the hotel significant press exposure, and towards the end of the 1980s, restoration efforts had begun in earnest. The hotel was reopened once the remodeling was finished in 1992. In 2000, the hotel was honored with the Europa Nostra Award for Outstanding Conservation. Today, this old hotel stands not only as an architectural gem, but it's also one of the most well-known haunted hotels in Norway. Even though they call themselves the Fair South Hotel, not every associated story with this place has a fairy tale ending. Let's start back in the late 1800s. A young English lady named Miss Greenfield checked into room 17 one spring morning and proceeded to spend several months there all alone. No one knew she was pregnant. After she gave birth, she suddenly kicked out. And when a maid came to clean up the room afterwards, the door was locked. Staff managed to open, force open the door and found it empty except for a dead baby on the bed. Although the story doesn't specify whether it was killed or died of natural causes, Miss Greenfield was arrested in England, but she killed herself before she could stand trial. The English lady is said to walk the corridors of the hotel, and the sound of a crying baby is said to still be heard in room 17. Every night to this day, the hotel sets the tables for Miss Greenfield and lights a candle for her. It is said that the flame is never still, always flickering. If you're inclined to try to stay in room 17, be prepared for a restless night, particularly if you're a man. Men seem to finally, uh, seem finally tuned to the presence of Miss Greenfield, and she has left many of them quite unsettled throughout the wee hours of the night. Guess what baby should not plan to stay in this room. As the hotel clearly states that nothing should be placed in the cradle in this room, while they do not elaborate on why nothing should be placed in the cradle, we're not sure if we want too many details on that particular topic. Aside from the grim chapter of that one stay here, it's highly recommended for those who love history, architecture, and haunting. And if you really want to truly disconnect them, it's that they have no internet. Mm-hmm. I am so ready to go to this place. <laughs> this is pretty darn cool. It morning. is gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to move north into central Norway, where we can find the third largest city, the city of Trondheim, on the southern shore of Trondheim Fjord. This compact yet ancient city is rich with culture, including the landmark Nidaros Cathedral. Nidaros Cathedral, or Nidaros Dolmen, as it is known in Norwegian, is an imposing Gothic cathedral which started construction in 1070, it's the final resting place for King Olaf II of Norway, who was killed in 1030 in the Battle of Stiklestad. Yep, Stiklestad, yep. Okay. King Olaf was canonized as Saint Olaf a year later by the Bishop of Nidaros for playing a pivotal role in the introduction of Christianity to Norway. Today, Saint Olaf is the patron saint of Norway. While construction started in 1070, it continued for over the course of 230 years until it reached substantial completion in 1300. However, additional work, additions, and renovations have continued intermittently since then. The most recent changes were completed in 2001. In addition to its notoriety as the resting place for St. Olaf, Nidaros Cathedral is also the traditional location for the consecration of new kings of Norway and is the northernmost medieval cathedral in the world. Amidst the beautiful and historic architecture of this cathedral, you might just meet one of the most famous ghosts in Norway, the monk. One reliable witness account was printed in the newspaper Aften Posten in, um, in 1930. A bishop's wife by the name of Marie Geisich uh, during a church service in 1924 saw a most unusual sight. As the priest was singing a hymn, she saw an apparition of a medieval monk first standing in an archway in the cathedral. 
His figure's sad, bright blue eyes locked with hers. Marie recalled he had a tonsure and wore monk's robe. His face was beautiful with sharp lines and glowing eyes. The monk walked right through one of the choir members attending the mass. While the priest was in front of the altar, the monk moved behind him. Alarmed, Marie saw this figure place its hand around the priest's throat and begin to choke him. Others in the church saw his hands encircle the priest's neck, but they did not see the rest of him. The monk then raised his head, and Marie saw that he had a stripe of blood on his throat. Marie, repelled by the sight of blood dripping from his slashed throat, averted her eyes downward, only to look up a moment later to see the monk standing in the area near the church archway again. Despite the blood, she described him as being young and very good-looking. Then he just disappeared. The priest who conducted the service later stated he had gotten a feeling of desperation and then a sense that something was stuck in his throat. Part of the legend is that Marie also saw this apparition remove its own head from its bloody body before it disappeared. Various witnesses over the years have seen this monk throughout the cathedral, in the smaller chapels, and outside near the cemetery. Yet other church members have seen this monk's hands reach out and choke other people as well. It seems this is how he shows his displeasure with people he does not like. This ghost story about this monk is so popular in Norway that it was made into a television series, and it inspired Bruce Engelstad's novel, The Monk, in 1991. Despite the many eyewitness accounts and the subsequent standing of the Nostrostolman monk in modern Norwegian culture, historians are quick to point out that the Nostrostolman was never connected to any order of monks. Regardless, sightings on the tales of the Nadorostolman monk live on to this day. So I'm going to make a note. Um, uh, Olaf II, St. Olaf, uh, is actually in Vikings Valhalla. He's Olaf Tromsen. Ah, okay. Uh, very loosely based off of it, but it's, yeah. it's that guy. <laughs> okay. They make him a little bit worse than he is in real life. I like Olaf. He's he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, now, the monk, um, he's not the only un- unusual activity associated with the cathedral. Other eyewitness accounts mention inexplicable chanting and organ music coming from the Daryl Stillman late at night. Then there are the flower petals. In the early years of the Daryl Stillman, the basement we used was used as a tomb for prominent figures in Trondheim, who wished to follow St. Olaf's footsteps to the grave. One particularly tiny room in the basement has a ceiling so low that few people can stand up straight inside. Ever since this room was used as part of the burials in the cathedral's early years, people have spotted rose petals scattered across the floor of the room. When witnesses inquire about these petals, they are told that they just appear. It seems that once a week, fresh rose petals appear and the wilted ones disappear. No one knows who does this or how. The entrance to this room is always kept barred and locked. How are you cleaning up the wilted ones? Boy. <laughs> is there what you're doing? Oh, is that what you're doing? Hmm? Gotta put the voice to work. Put the voice to work. Just saying. Vincent says hello, everybody. So funny, Nico's been like sitting here and Benson's been periodically like going over there to be his double. Yeah. <laughs> Nico's napping tonight. Yeah, Nico's hiding. Uh-huh. And Nico's you are too young to have me. Yeah, Mew's not good for you. Too young. You're only two years old. I don't think it's like it anyway. So. All right, so we're going to Fergus's fortress. This is in the southeast at the southernmost end of the border with Sweden. We reached the town of Halden. Given its proximity and strategic location in relation to its once foreign enemy, Halden has a tumultuous and violent history, though it was never captured by force of an invading army. Aside from the stubbornness and the national pride of the people Halden, the cornerstone of the community's defense is Fredrikson Fortress. Denmark, Norway constructed this fortress in the 17th century as a replacement for another fortress that was ceded to Sweden by the Treaty of Rockland. Killed. 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 Sorry, that's my French going to be an accent there. And maybe there should have been an accent there, and I, I 
maybe I'm, I missed that in the edit. Anyway, in 1658, uh, Fredrikson Fortress was named after King Cardiff III of Denmark and Norway. And the town of Halden was also originally named after him, known as Frederick Schald, between 1665 and 1928. While we do not delve into the reason for the renaming, we will note that Halden translates into the slope. And it's a very appropriate name, that is. From the center of Halden to the imposing monolith of the fortress rises high above the town, peaking at 122 meters above sea level. From the top of the fortress, it's easy to see why it was such a prized defensive position, as it affords excellent views across the Swedish side of the fjord. Attacked six times, but never conquered, the fortress is a perfect model of true grit and national pride. In the autumn of 1718, the Swedish King Charles XII, with his army of 40,000 soldiers, laid down the greatest siege ever to fall Norway. However, 1,400 defenders of the uh, Fredrickson held fast, and after several days were bestowed with a blend of luck and skill. On December 11th of 1718, a musket ball or a piece of great shot caught King Charles XII in the temple, killing him instantly. Without their monarch, the Swedish army fell back, the war drew to a close, and it was the last time that a European monarch fell in battle. It is said that the defiant spirit of King Charles, hungry for power and fame, still wanders around the fortress, sighing and cursing the soldier who pulled the trigger. His lingering presence is a little surprise, but as the, during his life he is not only known as Your Highness, but also Ironhead, for his incredibly, incredible stubbornness and arrogance. The death of Charles and his subsequent haunting is not the only mystery to weigh in on the fortress. There's the legend of the Fredericton Fortress commander dying in battle and the subsequent death of his mistress, Den Vietnam. The white lady. You all know there's going to be a white lady story. Yep. Yeah. But, well, <laughs> we, we, have a, we have a different language to use this time. So we'll use, we will say Den Vietnam. Then beat down. <laughs> Upon learning of her lover's death, <laughs> she threw herself from the highest point, the bell tower, a.k.a. the White Tower, desperate to meet him on the other side. Her spirit now supposedly roams the fortress, waiting for their reunion. She's most frequently sighted in a long white dress near the point of her final moments at the White Tower. Another story about a lieutenant who vanished during an inspection at the bell tower one cold winter night in the 1800s, in 1926, they found, by chance, a body of a soldier buried near the tower. Over the years, some have reported seeing a shade of the soldier entering a secure area of the fortress before disappearing. Given the mystery associated with the vanished lieutenant, many want to attribute the body found and the subsequent haunting back to this unfortunate young man. While this is a sound theory, it doesn't set aside centuries of violent conflict that has occurred at the fortress prior to the lieutenant's disappearance. It is worth noting that another twist on the tale of the white lady and the missing lieutenant. Then deep down. <laughs> exists and intertwines the two stories. The alternate version claims that Dendy Dom There you go, you got it. Was abused by the commander of the fortress, <laughs> driving her to take her own life. Her restless spirit became vengeful and has attacked living men over the years, and one of her victims was the missing lieutenant. As the story goes, she pushed the lieutenant from the heights of the fortress, his body lost at the base of the cliffs below. No matter which version of the story you tend to favor, if you wish to explore these stories yourself, the fortress is now a national landmark and museum, and they sometimes also host special events such as concerts and the like. Opposing, imposing reminder to an era of conflict that has thankfully long since come to rest. <laughs> I'm having fun tonight. I mean, I always have fun doing it, but... He's having more fun right now. I, he's the expert, and I'm not. Oh, I'm, I'm hardly an expert. I'm, I maybe have a beginner. Beginner going here. Hi, baby. But anyway, we'll next move on to Clothroy or Cloister Island. This stands at the mouth of uh, Bokna Fjord in the Bokna Fjord. Uh, this distant point stands a short 30-minute drive to the north of Stavanger, one of Norway's largest cities, via the undersea by Fjord Tunnel, 
And despite its proximity to this urban center, a visit to Kolsteroy can feel like stepping into another world. Kolsteroy is so named after the ancient abbey that stands on the island, Ustein uh, Cloister. For reference, it is also referred to as Ustein Abbey, and the use of abbey or cloister is just a matter of translation preference in this case. That linguistics lesson aside, Ustein Cloister is Norway's best-preserved medieval monastery. Built in the late 1200s, the abbey, dedicated to St. Lawrence, was home to up to 12 monks at a time. Another 20 to 30 lay people would work the building doing the cooking and farming. The Abbey owned extensive lands and could feed about 250 people a year. It was dissolved in 1537 during the Reformation and was given in fee to Trond Iverson, a nobleman who served as local bailiff. It served as a private residence for many years. In 1899, the estate was acquired by the state and restored as a museum. The renovations completed over the subsequent decades put Lutstein Cloister in a position so that the buildings now serve as a venue for concerts, seminars, and conventions. It is now owned entirely by the Lutstein Cloister Foundation. Despite its status as a former monastery housing only men for several centuries, it's a woman's presence that lingers in the place today. In 1759, the monastery was bought by the Garman, Camp Garman family.
Some stories say that he died of old age, while others say he hung himself in his church. Other stories claim that the ghosts are actually his children, who are allegedly buried behind the altar. Given the weight that he carried in the community during his life, it's no surprise he may have lingered on there after death. And others think that the activity is due to a newlywed couple that drowned in the nearby river. This theory is that people are experiencing the terrifying final moments when one can't breathe underwater, explaining the pressure on the chest, difficulty moving about. It could also be why the electronics are experiencing similar phenomena. We all know that electronics and water don't mix. That said, we certainly encourage you to make a visit to this historic site. You might just want to bring a swimming buddy and ride your bike. Yeah, I did kind of close something out there. The bit about riding your bikes, the electronics things happens in cars too. So, uh, yeah, people have driven down there and then have their the electronics in their cars go. So, yeah, park park a little ways out, take a walk, ride your bike, get some exercise. Sounds cool. Yeah. So now we are going to move to the Fjord village of Oi by the Fjordgren uh, Fjordgren Fjord. Described as the most majestic and secluded fjord in all of Norway. You'll find one of the most distinct hotels in Europe here, the Hotel Union Boy. Built in 1891, this hotel neatly fits with the beautiful surroundings, offering a place where visitors can disconnect and savor their time. It looks nice. It's a place that is quite literally fit for royalty. The 27 rooms, all of which are individually furnished with carefully selected antiques, are named after notables who have stayed here. Kaiser Wilhelm of Germany, King Oscar of Sweden, Queen Maud of Norway, and Princess Victoria of England. Authors Karen Blixen, Nott Hansen, and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle have also stayed here, as well as composer Edward Gregg, playwright Henrik Ibsen, and explorer Ronald Amundsen mention a few. But this hotel has also hosted a tragic love story from the end of the 19th century. A waitress named Lena fell madly in love with one of Kaiser Wilhelm's officers, a German duke trapped in an unhappy arranged marriage. The love between the two blossomed, and whenever the duke visited, he and Lena always stayed together in the blue room. He promised he would ask his wife for a divorce, but the divorce never happened. In some stories, he never asked. In other versions, his wife refused the divorce. In either case, the Duke ultimately winds up taking his own life at the end. Soon after, a heartbroken Lena disappeared into the fjord, wearing a wedding dress and a crown of flowers. Ever since, people who are booked into the blue room swear they hear the ghost of Lena weeping. Others have said they've woken up to find her in the room with them. Every guest checking into the blue room is given a silver bowl of garlic. If you've had a long trip or just don't feel in the mood for having a ghostly visitation, you can keep the bowl in your room. However, if you're curious, all you have to do is leave the bowl outside your door and wait. Given the spooky reputation of this room, you need to be prepared to wait. The room is usually booked up at least a year in advance. Start planning a uh, standalone trip there for like 2025, 2026, or something. We already got I know. Plans to go to I, I know we do. Yeah. All right. Bedrooms? Yep. Bedrooms, Rick. Okay, perfect. So, this is the west of Oslo. It's the village of Bedrooms. The former ironworks in the city here are widely renowned as one of the most haunted hotels in Norway. The old iron works here operated between 1610 and 1874, giving the front row seat to Norway's industrial revolution. As iron was discovered in the mountains surrounding barrens, the landscape shifted. Mountains were hacked into, waterfalls were harnessed to use energy. That said, the community remained vibrant and beautiful. When you have a backdrop as gorgeous as the Norwegian landscape, even a mining town can be high-tech. While the iron works did eventually close, the people shifted with the times, finding other ways to keep the community intact. People were not the only ones to stick around. Generations of spirits of the past had lingered on as well. Legend tells of a former iron works owner that haunts the 
Fort Cascada, uh, Fort Street. Fort Cascada. Fort Cascada. Which is Merck is works and Gada is street. Conrad Clawson. Conrad was only a young guy when the whole place fell on his shoulders. He took over the IRA foundry in 1773 and 18 years old. In that time, small villages for the workers were often built around the foundry like the one in Durham. A lot of them are still standing to this day. Now, Conrad gave all of his energy to the place where he lived and worked, even if his life was going to be a very short one. At the age of 31, Conrad died in his bedroom at the foundry. That same bedroom is now a meeting room for people working at the one-time foundry that has since been turned into a shopping mall. In this area of our Conrad's group, people hear doors creaking, open, and closed on their own. Disembodied footsteps. Dogs are also strongly protesting brought into this space. Perhaps some of the strangest activity here is associated with the phone. In the middle of the night, no one is at work to answer the phone. No one is up to call to them. But still, they're ringing. People working the night shift in the offices where Conrad once lived and talked, uh, excuse me, once lived, talk of the phone call constantly during the night. He tried to take a call and roll an answer with a strange feeding him. After that, the phone in the room next to you will start to ring, and then in the next room. That's how it continues for the whole building. The telephone company has been consulted on numerous occasions, but their conclusions left far more questions than answers. They managed to trace the source of the calls back to the meeting room that was once Conrad's bedroom, sending out an unsettling chill through the staff at the mall. The lingering presence around Conrad's room is the only paranormal activity in this one town, time foundry and community. It just so happens that this town is home to the oldest tavern in the country. Now known as Verkusitz Okay. Mr. Susan Benham's Verk. What he said. How's <laughs> <laughs> the building that is protected to preserve the heritage of this community? The tavern serves food based on old classical Norwegian recipes. Perhaps it's that familiar setting and the familiar food that keeps the spirits here alive. One spirit in particular has been raising a ruckus of the tavern for many years. She's known as the woman in green. We changed colors, but... Yes, we did. The woman in green has a tendency to appear and disappear at times when she can impart the greatest impact. She's striking on the guests as she strolls around in her vibrant period clothing based on the description of the spirit. Both of the stories have been led to believe that she's likely a woman named Anna Kepfrey. Anna was a powerhouse of a businesswoman in the uh, town for over half a century. Between 1712 and 1756, she owned not only the ironworks, but many other real estate and business holdings across the county. country. She was a highly respected leader in the community, establishing a school for the children of her employees, making significant contributions to local health and worship. And as far as spirits go, well, there are more centuries lingering around. Anna and Conrad are just a couple of the many spirits that linger here in this town. There have been many sightings of bygone miners, iron workers wandering across the town, as if they're still going about their business today. Once living, there is a general consensus that these spirits are welcome in the community. Most of them are nice, or at least harmless. And it's just a course of what's their home long before any of them living were there today. In fact, the community wouldn't be what it is without the lifetime efforts of those whose spirits have stayed up. So it's a place where it's acknowledged that the spirits have just as much right to be the town as those who call it home today. I'm wondering if we need to make a drinking game for when the Rainbow Lady Brigade shows up. We, there, there are certain episodes where I don't think we'd make it halfway through before we're falling asleep here on the couch. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, it depends on the dream we make. Yeah. You can just play it around that and you can move kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do much Maybe it's environmentally ill. Immediately. As soon as it hits her stomach, it's coming right out. Oh, no, it doesn't make the stomach. It hits my throat. Either way. So, uh, moving along. All right. The next stop is Modem. That it sounds just like Modem. Yes, 
spelled M-O-D-U-M. But in any case, this is another mining community just outside of Oslo. It's here that the Royal Cobalt Works of Modem were established in 1773 to mine well, cobalt. In the 1800s, it became the largest company in Norway with more than 2,000 employees at its peak. The cobalt from the mine was used in the production of blue pigment for porcelain and glass industries across the world. It's at this mine that we can also find the legend of Blamen, the blue man. Bla, blue, manen, the man, the blue man. So, originating in the 19th century, Blamenen would appear in a mining uniform carrying a mining lamp. Most think that he is the spirit of Hans Seaman Paulson Roder, a miner at the Royal Cobalt Works in the early 1800s. His appearance is considered to be a bad omen as accidents happen after he is seen. That's not to say that Blonde Manning causes the accidents, rather he serves as a warning of bad things to come, and that he is there to warn the unsuspecting miners of imminent danger and to get them away from an impending accident site. According to the oral stories, it is believed that Blonde Manning tries to notify the miners of the imminent danger, as well as try to get those closest to the accident away. At the same time, he brought fear because someone would likely die after he had appeared. The worst accident happened on December 13, 1854, when Blamenin had to appear three times before the workers realized that it was a warning and that they had to get out. By then, it was already too late. Six miners lost their lives at that time. Only the final miner to enter, enter the mine survived the landslide. He was the one who shared the story about the encounter with Blamenin. The cobalt mines were closed in 1893, but the evidence of the activity that took place there remains today. The one-time mining complex contains 65 buildings over more than 400 acres of land. It is a major art hub with multiple art galleries, but there are lots of other activities as well, including excursions into the mine shaft. If you decide to delve into the depths of the earth here, just hope that you do not have a brush with Blumenin. I'm not sure if this needs more meat. That's a finished mine. <laughs> All right. You try. literally get around like, who? <laughs> right. All right, so I don't have a troll. Huh? Stephen offered a great movie. Drink, drink, drink. Yeah. Let's go. Is that our student? Yeah. So we might actually make it? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Stephen in the chat here, he, he made this, and it is quite tasty. So. Oh, wait, isn't Stephen's meat? Yeah, yeah it, it is. It's delicious. Yeah. Cool. Cool, man. <laughs> All right, so right now we're going to throw on a little Norwegian folklore because, you know, we have to. This is hard for us to enjoy. Yeah, yes, I, I had to throw this in at the end. We continued, you know, kind of, you know, just briefly, briefly touched on traditional Norwegian folklore in the introduction. But I wanted to go ahead and throw something in that kind of did. Yeah, I mean, we talked about trolls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We but, talked about trolls a little bit. But anyway. You know, there's old it. Odin, Freya, Thor, Loki. You all know those guys. Who? Who? Oh, dear. <laughs> you know Loki's going to come find me. I'm messing with Loki. That's okay. <laughs> Um, of course, there are dozens of gods in Norse mythology, plus there's the dwarves, the elves, the trolls, all of who have had uh, stories told and adapted time and again from many centuries right into the modern day, most notably Tolkien and our Lord of the Rings trilogy. But for the sake of this evening, we're not going to talk about MTV. <laughs> uh, we're going to touch on the less discussed creature from Norwegian folklore, the Holkra. Uh, also known as the people just want us to get trashed. Yeah, they do. <laughs> like I'm gonna be real. That's part of that's like part of the the thing that I advertise this with. Like I'm just uh, watching Kid Rock. Ghost Rock. Ghost Rock. Okay. That's the only time you have to say that. So that's why they're called that in Frozen. The people are called the North Pole. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's spirit. Ra is spirit. Ghost is forest. Ra. It's I'm learning. Good job. Cool. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I'm learning. Crash course. Okay. So, the forest spirit. The whole draw is described as to 
beautiful and seductive forest dweller. They look like normal women, but one jar in expectation. Have a long tail that is kind of like a cow. Holder are not inherently good or evil. As an encounter with one could go one of two ways. A good folder encounter may entail a folder appearing before an unsuspecting man without actively trying to seduce him. If the man is kind and courteous, and even after noticing his tail, the folder may reward him with good fortune or advice. One such encounter tells of a folder appearing before a young man fishing by a lake. Man nearly faints from lack of breath as the woman's beauty has been spellbound. He catches himself, however, and he notices the tail sticking out from below his skirt. Very politely, he points out that her wedding coat seems to be showing. And as a reward for his courtesy, the holder directs the young man to the other side of the lake, where he proceeds to catch fish with every catch of his spine the rest of the day. And that's not a good holder encounter. These usually speak of wild women luring unmarried men into the forest lairs. Once there, physical pleasure typically followed, lots of it, after which the holder would ask the man to marry her, refusing to let him go until he agreed. If the man outright refused the marriage, the holder would kill him then and there. No, no messing around. If the two did get married, the holder would lose her tail, but would turn it back into a hideous tag with the strength of ten men. Even in marriage, the holder would eventually wind up killing her husband. At least if he didn't go mad and end himself in the situation before he got Yeah. I mean, same though. Yeah. <laughs> still dead. Uh, you know, like, okay, still dead. Some stories tell the holder of taking a shortcut for going the marriage talk altogether. In these cases, the holder would force the man to dance until he drops dead. See, this is what I really like about um, Europe, specifically more colder places in Europe. They really like to dance to death. It's neat. Yep. Then the arrival of Christianity in the Nordic countries gave this creature's tale a bit of a twist. It states that the holder was the daughter of Adam and Eve. One day Eve was bathing her children and God came for a visit, and not all the children were clean. Eve hid the dirty ones, having seen the children, God asked if there was any more, to which Eve replied, no. God declared, then let all that is hidden remain hidden. And the hidden children became their... The dark, 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 dark. Under your skin. Meaning the ones living underground. Under your skin. And the holdren being one of them. There is no certain origin story of the holdren. The mythology scholars believe that most likely the inspiration for this creature was a reclusive single woman living in the woods. This is an era where such lifestyle was unfathomable, and anyone living outside the community's culture must be associated with the supernatural. In the years since this origin, the legend of the culture grew and evolved into various cultures and changing times. While not as prominent as some of the other folklore creatures in modern era, the influence of the holder can still be seen in some classes of contemporary art and culture. It's just another thread in the deep that we can call cultural factor. So, I did, uh, as I was kind of doing my research, I did find that there was somebody um, made a it was Norwegian made a movie, The Holder, like back, I think, in like 2016 or something like that. So they do still talk about it, and they do still, you know, it still shows up in a kind of more modern pop culture. Just uh, seems very isolated to, it's very isolated to um, the Scandinavian countries. Yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately, we don't get a lot of the really cool Scandinavian movies and stuff. Uh, I've noticed they're... Netflix. Netflix, Netflix has some really interesting yeah. stuff. They have a a lot of um, German and Norwegian um, stuff stuff on Netflix. Oh yeah, I, I've watched several of the shows, and they're they're, oh, I, they're I, interesting. They're, they're some of them are pretty darn good. I'm loving I'm loving the accessibility uh, that Netflix is bringing. Yeah, that's nice. I wish the other places would come along. You can, if you like Scandinavian languages, you totally can, like, watch Frozen in whatever Scandinavian language you want, by the way. Good, not so bad. Uh, you can. 
it's awesome. You can watch any of them too, but like you, like there's like funny languages uh, that I uh, just you know, cool. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, th- th- I think I think one of the big reasons is uh, their their shows are weird. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Like they're they like I love I love I love them, but oh but boy, that is a lot for America to take. Like we could barely take Umbrella Academy in the purest form. True. Like we had to change it so much for it to fit on television. Like I can't imagine mm-hmm. some of the things that come over from uh, Norway and, and Sweden specifically just yeah. weird. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, a few of the shows that I've watched that have been uh, imported from <laughs> Germany, Norway, Sweden, they, they are, they're, yeah. they're, they have a very vivid imagination. We'll, yeah. we'll put it that way. <laughs> but, you know, let's give them credit. Uh, oh, I'm yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, I, I really love their horror movies. Like, Sweden, Sweden got us, uh, let the right one in. Wait, I don't remember what it was called in America. I'd have to go back and look them all up, honestly. So that really cool uh, Chloe Grace Mortez uh, vampire movie. That was really awesome. Um, that was Sweden for you. Yeah. But, yeah, dude. I'd have to go back and check them all out and see what the names actually were. I'm, I'm blanking right now for some reason. So when we do get, like, Scandinavian, um, like, when we do get Scandinavian culture, like, guys, they're, like, I'm uh, my allergies are getting to me. I thought it was, but when we get like cult, like a uh, myth, like the Holger or something like that, it's usually like kind of put in the background, like more of a fun fact, you know, something that doesn't actually get out loud named mm-hmm. and just happens. And that's fine too. I like that. Yeah, mystery. But it's, there's there's so much. I mean, we'll 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 come back and we'll be revisiting Norway at some point for sure. I'm um, still writing that. Um, that uh well most it's mostly Icelandic but saga age uh ghosts and ghouls and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm still writing that. But yeah. Lots of so, so much to it. So much to it. I mean I, I was actually a little surprised. I mean I know I I, I knew that there was like the um the, the Norse gods, the pantheon of Norse gods. I knew that there were quite a few of them. A lot. I didn't know that there were like dozens upon dozens of them. They're, the list of Norse gods is and they don't, very they, extensive. They, there are, it's not necessarily ranked as much as there are families. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. But honestly, honestly, one could argue probably Holger would be like a god of some sort. <laughs> I could argue that because of, yeah, there, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack with this. <laughs> with the with the mythologies and stuff. Oh yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll we we will revisit that sometime. You just said hello. It's been a while. You know, Tana. She heard she heard my voice. She's like, what is that? Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that that was our last story for tonight. So we fun. Yeah, yeah. Always lovely talking to you, Patrick. Pleasure chatting with you all, as always. <laughs> You're saying hello. You're saying hello. No, we're not going to talk. <laughs> we're not. We're not being told to get off the table. We have. Uh, we have nothing to speak about. <laughs> but as Chris mentioned, it's going to be a few weeks until our next show again on last Monday, which is. The 29th. What are we talking about? Japan. Oh, yeah, you told me that. Yep. yep. I got to get you my notes. So yep. just for my nephew who's about to go. Yep. Oh, that's it, that's it. Spending, how long was that? Two weeks. Two weeks. Japan has so many layers of really spooky ghosts. Oh, yeah, they do. Yeah. Like, and and they're, they're another one. They Yeah, they range from the absolutely wildly weird to the genuinely, like, freaky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I... I just finished watching not that long ago, um, Alice in Borderland. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That was, yeah. That's a lot. It was a lot. Probably not your thing. Uh-huh. No. No, no, probably not your thing. But yeah, there's another one that's done 
a lot of Japanese stuff, Japanese stuff, Korean stuff, all of it. I think Netflix does stuff all over the place. Yeah. Well, I mean, they have a lot of, uh, they have their hands in a lot of pies or countries yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, the all kinds of stuff. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, we'll be talking about that in uh, three weeks on in Japan. And, uh, yeah, until then, hope that you uh, hope that you all have a, a lovely May, since we're basically being multiple months before we talk to you again. Hope you have a good month. Um, if you want to uh, come on out, we're still doing tours um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. Once we hit Memorial Day, we will be doing tours seven nights a week. Oh, yeah, spring market. Yes, and this coming Saturday, the 13th, um, Lee and Zoe are going to be uh, manning a booth at the uh, Spring Fest, Churchill Spring Fest, the uh, spring market that's going to be over at Libby Hill Park. So you can go over there, you can see them, you can pick up some haunts merch and all Pride kinds merch, yeah. merch, all kinds of all kinds of spooky merchandise. So uh, and uh, yeah, and we won't be there, but I'll still plug them. I won't be there either, but Comic um, Con on Friday, on Saturday. Uh, yes. Yep, yep, there was some comic Fill your day up, my friend. Yep, so we, we weren't able to um, make that one. We just had too much going on. But we will, we will be at the Richmond Comic Cons that are taking place in August and November. <laughs> so we don't plan it. We don't plan it in advance or anything. That is, like, I was surprised when you were like, oh, yeah, we got a food for folks in the future. Yeah. And I'm like, you plan it, like, over two months ahead. <laughs> we, we have. We, yeah. we we typically we plan as far as in, as far in advance as possible. That's wild. Yeah, I mean, well, we're we're already talking about the um, our the party for our twentieth wedding anniversary. Lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.